If you believe the figures, the state of marriage in Australia is pretty grim throughout the world even. There's a high divorce rate, infidelity abounds and how often do you read about one or both of a couple that do stay together struggling with sexual boredom? We've heard plenty of theories that suggest monogamy isn't necessarily a happy state for human beings. Now in a new book titled Sex at Dawn, researchers Christopher Ryan and Casilda Jetter claim to have hard evidence. And Christopher joins us on Afternoons to debunk almost everything we know about sex. Hi, Christopher. Hi. We know your theory that we're not designed to be monogamous. What What's the evidence behind this? Well, there's about 400 pages of evidence, so I'll have to summarize it very briefly. But um, essentially it comes down to, to different uh, realms. You've got anthropological evidence, which shows that many societies uh, that live the way our ancestors lived, which is pre-agricultural, hunter-gathering societies, uh, have a very different approach to sexuality than than we do, which is uh, much less possessive, much less um, oriented toward controlling each other sexually. And in our book, we outline how and why the orientation changed in, in human history. But as far as uh, less uh, indirect evidence, much more uh, solid evidence, we look at the human body. The design of the body tells us that our ancestors were uh, much more promiscuous than we imagine. In what way? Well, in many different ways. I mean, one thing is just to look at what's called sexual um, dimorphism, body size dimorphism. Males in society, in animals that are harem-based, like a gorilla and like Darwin and others have uh, argued that human beings probably were like in the past, what you find is that the males uh, grow to be uh, much, much larger than females. So a male gorilla is about twice the size and weight of a female gorilla. And that's because the males fight for access to females. And so the alpha male tends to be the male that is the, the biggest, strongest uh, gorilla. So his genes pass on to the next generation. So you have a cascading effect where the, uh, the males get bigger and bigger and fiercer and stronger. Um, obviously, human males aren't on average twice the size of a human female. In fact, we're about 15 to 20 percent uh, larger and heavier, which is the same ratio we find in our two closest primate relatives, the chimp and the bonobo, both of which are promiscuous, multi-male, multi-female breeders. And you make the uh, point very early on, we didn't just descend from apes, that we are apes. Also, you make the point that we often think that we're above nature, but perhaps not as much as we like to think. Yeah, that that's a fallacy based on human arrogance. I mean, any medical doctor will tell you immediately that humans aren't above nature. You know, we, our bodies respond to what we eat. They respond to our exercise patterns, our sleep patterns, and all the other purely biological factors that every living thing on the planet has to respond to. Sexuality is just another one of those. And you, you, you talked, uh, you mentioned very briefly earlier that you looked at why we find this so difficult. Can you expand on that? Why we find monogamy so, so difficult? Yeah. Well, eh, similar to what I just said about the exercise and diet and so on, I, when we do something that is in direct conflict with our evolved predispositions, we pay for it. 
So if we live on pizza and Pop-Tarts and Pepsi, we are going to suffer. There's no way around it. It doesn't matter if your culture tells you it's completely normal to live on that diet. Your body's going to rebel against it because it's so different from what your body's evolved design is, uh, is adapted to. So it's the same thing with um, sexual behavior. Our bodies are, and minds are designed for um, sexual novelty. And so when you go for decades without any sexual novelty, uh, there's a price to be paid. And so you might uh, find um, uh, that it's being expressed in terms of uh, perversion, as we've seen in the Catholic Church with the terrible things that are coming to light uh, that have been happening where celibacy was required of uh, priests. And so we see how, how that worked out. Um, or it may express itself in a addiction to pornography or any sort of uh, compulsive sexual behavior. We're talking on Afternoons to Christopher Ryan. He is the author of Sex at Dawn, the prehistoric origins of modern sexuality. Is what we felt inclined to do or were designed to do prehistorically necessarily a precursor for what we're likely to do thousands and thousands of years later have we not evolved past that well it's a complicated question because in some ways we evolve very quickly um the classic examples are for example the ability to digest lactose which in milk which seems to have um, evolved in our species within just a few thousand years um, but when you have something um, very complex that isn't just a question of an enzyme or um, uh, a singular sort of molecular adaptation, when you have something like um, the way the body responds to the overall diet or overall exercise patterns or uh, something as deep as sexual behavior, it takes much longer for uh, significant change to happen in the organism. Having said that, one of the things that human beings are best at is adapting. And, and so we don't only evolve on a physiological level, we also evolve very quickly on cultural, psychological levels. So certainly one point that we were very careful to make, and, and we, I always try to make in interviews, is that we're not arguing against monogamy. We're not saying that there's something wrong with monogamy or people shouldn't uh, live sexually monogamous lives if they choose that. We're only saying that it's important to understand that um, it's not the natural route. It's not the natural path. The sort of the metaphor I like to use is um, that it's similar to vegetarianism. You can be a vegetarian, you can, and that, we certainly wouldn't argue that that's a bad decision, but it doesn't mean that the barbecue won't smell good. So it's important to if you're going to take that route, it's important to do it um, from a perspective that's informed and understanding the difficulties you might run into down the road. If our, uh, if our sexual in instincts are so strong and not really that far from the surface, then how, how do you explain, I, I guess, the dichotomy that, um, I mean, when sexual passion fades, love gets deeper and so many people still choose that intimacy and love over that, that sexual thrill? Is that the strength of our, our moral beliefs? I think, I don't know if, if I would call it moral beliefs, but I, I certainly think that um, the capacity 
to feel love is probably one of the most signature human capacities. It's something that that we probably certainly feel in a more complex, uh, nuanced way than, than any other creature on Earth. And so... Sex is a very strong um, uh, motivator in in our species, but so is love. And um, so often it's uh, it's not surprising that when people are forced with that sort of Hobson's choice between love and sex, they, they do choose love. Because often it's not just love for your partner, it's also love for your children and love for the life that you've built together and love for all those shared memories and so on. So it's a very um, it's a very powerful thing, but it's also important to understand just how important sex is and how how motivating sex is. Lots of people say, uh, "Oh, you know, you're you're making us out to look like animals with all this talk about sex." But it's very important to understand that animals only have sex. Most animals only have sex when the female is ovulating. Human beings are one of the very few species that have sex all the time, whether the female is menstruating or ovulating or already pregnant or postmenopausal, we have all sorts of sexual practices that could not possibly lead to pregnancy. And that's very unusual in the animal kingdom. So it's much more animalistic to have sex infrequently. The constant sex we have is very human. Does it not get a bit exhausting if that you know instinctive urge is to always be on the hunt, did you look at um, did you look at uh, any um, any research into people who had chosen not to be monogamous and whether or not they found that a bit tiring? I guess <laughs> tiring. Yeah. Well, you know, I... <laughs> I can't think of any other way to put that. Yeah. Well, what we found when you know in researching the book, we looked at a lot of societies that as I said earlier, much more sexually um, uh, permissive and uh, uh, sort of relaxed than than what we experience these days in Western society. I don't know that I, I don't know that my impression is that it was exhausting so much (laughs) as uh, invigorating for them. Uh, Sex was especially extra pair sex. So, you know, if they would have habitual partners, but then when they had these these parties and rituals and different um, festivals, uh, sex with someone other than your normal partner was either required or certainly expected. And um, the anthropological reports are quite amusing because from what the anthropologists say, the people seem to feel that these rituals um, added spice to life and, uh, you know, kept everybody happy. And so it's sort of the opposite of, of tiring because there wasn't a lot of hunting involved. It's pretty easy and, and relaxed. How has your book been received? Uh, well, incredibly well, actually. Much There's been much more enthusiastic response than, than we could have ever dreamed for. There's also been a lot less blowback than we expected. We we expected a lot more anger and um, sort of, you know, attacks from people who would feel threatened by this. But so far, people seem to be responding to it uh, very positively. We're we're very gratified. Uh, certainly, very interesting research and interesting to talk to you, Christopher. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you.
Christopher Ryan is the author of Sex at Dawn, The Prehistoric Origins of Modern Sexuality.